I'm going to ask you before the service is over, the sermon is over today, to consider losing your life. Now, this is not some cult. I'm not going to ask you to all, you know, do some drastic deed. But stay with me to see what Jesus says about losing your life. And that's what I'm going to ask you and me as well to do. How many of you watched the show, uh, TV show, Biggest Loser? Let me see your hands. There is Karen Jones. The, she is the poster child for the fan of The Biggest Loser. Well, I have a confession to make. I tried to watch that several times. I think, I think, Karen, the pain is this. It's just too close to home for me. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure that I can handle a whole season. One time, two or three seasons back, I tried to watch a whole episode. I said, I'm going to do it. It was almost like a punishment for me. Everybody says this is great. I'm going to do it. It happened to be the episode where an older gentleman who had a severe heart condition just passed out. They thought he died. And I was, I was, I was stressing. I thought, I'm going to watch this old gentleman die right in front of me on TV. Then I realized, wait, 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 this is reality TV, not reality, reality. They're not going to do that on television. I hope. But anyway, I, I made it to the point where I saw he was going to live, and then I just flipped the channels. I couldn't take it any longer. So I I have to confess, I couldn't quite make it. But here's the thing that's fascinating, I think, about the show. Any time that someone who is the biggest loser can be the biggest winner, it catches our attention, doesn't it? Because that's not what the world teaches us. The world teaches us that the biggest loser is the biggest loser. And those who are winners have the right to call everyone else losers. That's what the world teaches us. That's what, hey, let's be honest as Christians, we get caught up in that too, don't we? Far too often. And we can find ourselves when we're in the seat or on the podium of the winner, we can as easily as someone else look down our noses at those who didn't win and think losers. Be honest, can't we? And so that today, I would like for us to learn what Jesus says about winning and about losing. I remember a time when uh, my older son was about 16 years old. And Matthew, like most 16-year-olds, knew everything. Uh, we would be in the middle of a sentence, and he would go, I know, Dad. I know, Mom. And we'd go, okay, smart Alec. What was I going to say? What's the rest of the sentence? Just hoping he couldn't finish it. Too often he could finish the sentence. It just really made me mad. But this time, a friend of mine in Denver, Steve Code, and I were talking. And I was telling about something that Summer and I had been, you know, one of those um, active discussions we had had. And where I, I said, you know, Steve, um, I think I was right on this. But, you know, it wasn't worth it just to win the argument. And Steve goes, yeah, man, I know. You know, like a you know, commiserating of husbands. And Matthew was in the room with us, 16 years old, knows everything, hardly dated yet. You know, what did he know about women? But he didn't know that. He says, but dad, you were right. You could have won that argument. Steve steps over to Matthew, puts his arm around him and says, son, let me tell you a thing or two. Sometimes with women, when you win, you lose. And Matthew got this look like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. 
And so Steve saw his look, so Steve says, and let me tell you one more thing, Matthew. Sometimes when you lose, you win. And he and I gave each other that knowing look like, yeah, we've been there. Well, Matthew today is going to be 27 next week. He's married, has been married for almost four years. I dare say he knows a bit more about that little concept that Steve and I tried to educate him on at 16. He's getting along, seems to be getting along quite well in marriage, so I'm confident he knows more about that. And by the way, he and Brianna have given us uh, a five-month-old, well, given us a grandson who's now five months old, and if any of you doubt my assertion that he is the best-looking Gerber baby since the original Gerber baby, you can find out on Facebook. I challenge you to prove me wrong. The pictures are there. He's the best-looking Gerber baby since. But anyway, the point is, Matthew today knows something different about winning and losing. And if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Today, the passage in God's Word in Matthew 16, verse, beginning of verse 24, Matthew chapter 16, the first book of the New Testament, will tell us some things, or Jesus will tell us some things about this winning and losing. If you have your Bibles, open to that so you can make notes in the margin. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it'll be on the screens. But let me give you the context while you're turning to Matthew 16. Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's just told them he's going to be killed. He's going to die. And he's going to be raised again on the third day. Peter, ever sticking his foot in his mouth, says to Jesus something like this. Hey, I don't know if you're aware or not, but that's not the greatest way to become the Messiah of the Jewish nation, to die. And so Jesus has to set Peter straight. And then in the context of that, he drops these two sentences on them, the biggest loser sentences on them. Read it with me if you will, or follow along as I read it. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, that is, if you'll make the choice to leave the path you're on and choose the path I'm on, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now let's unpack the verses one at a time. I'll look at verse 24 with you and then verse 25 with you. And as Jesus often does, he unloads some principles and then he illustrates it. And that helps me a lot because when when Jesus is teaching something, I'm kind of like the disciples. I'm sometimes a little thick-headed and I need an illustration or a little help with it. So the first thing, he gives us three principles, simple principles uh, to, well, simple but not easy principles for following him, for being one of his disciples. The first principle is this, you do not come to Jesus on your terms. He says, if anyone will come after me, strong, strong implication there that the path we're on is not the path he's on. Now, you know, if you've come to Jesus Christ and he's your Lord and Savior, you know you were on this path and you had to choose to get on this path that's going the opposite direction. The Bible calls it repent. Uh, And you know when you came to him that he became your Lord. That means the one in charge. You know when you came to Jesus Christ that he became the one who called the shots. It wasn't on your terms, was it? In the same manner, same manner as when you come to Jesus Christ for salvation, 
when we decide to be dead serious about being his disciple, it is not on our terms either. There is yet another level he calls us to. And these, these three principles do like Jesus so often does. He gives us the one we can begin with, and he takes us to the one that only he can accomplish in our lives. And you'll see that in these three principles. So he said, also in, in John fourteen six to illustrate that, he said, I am the way. In fact, he said, I am the way, I think. And he said, I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus never in his teaching ever disguised or minimized the cost of following him. He always just laid it right on the table and lets us choose. Everyone comes to Jesus Christ the same way on his terms. And when we decide to go on with him to a stronger serious discipleship, it's the same. Second principle, you must deny self. Jesus says it right there. Deny self. Um, Verse 24 says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself. Did a little reading in the last few weeks since God began speaking to me about this passage. I've discovered that word deny means this, to completely disown Utterly separate oneself from something or someone. Utterly. That's one of those words I, I, I hardly ever speak. That means absolutely, completely separate. It's the word used of the Apostle Peter when he denied Jesus three times. The first time someone asked him, he said, I don't know that man. The second time he said, Hey, I do not know that man. The third time they asked him, he cursed and said, I've told you already, I don't know him. That's the picture. That's the picture when we deny self. Now, let me clarify the self we're talking about. We're not speaking about, I'm not speaking about that self who is the individual, the unique individual Jesus Christ uh, created, God created in his own image, who is special who is loved deeply by God. That is not the self I'm talking about. The self I'm talking about, and Jesus is speaking about here, is the, self, the natural, sinful, rebellious self that's at the center of every person since Adam when he fell, when he sinned. That fallen person that we can never, ever, ever trust to tell us what God would tell us. That self is the enemy of our spiritual life. So, if we want to deny self, let me give you a challenge. Jesus talks about denying self. I, I need some concrete ways to do that. And one of the greatest ways for me to do that, I, I find in Philippians 2, verse 3. If you turn to that in your Bibles, uh, if, you, if it's kind of a challenge, it's over in the middle of the New Testament, you can look in the table of contents. It's worth the look to find it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and verse 4 challenges me about denying self probably more than any verse. Now, some of you may not be as ego-driven as I am, but I dare say most of you are. You know why? Because it's our human nature. We think about self first, don't we? Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, these challenge me deeply. Do nothing from rivalry or deceit or conceit, sorry. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look out, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, that looking to the interests of others is not, hey, tell me, tell me what's going on so I can go tell this person what's going on in your life. It's not gossiping. It's not that looking out for the interest of others, okay? It is saying, okay, I know your cancer is more significant than my hangnail, but let me tell you about my hangnail. It's not that. It's even if you have the cancer and the other person has a hangnail, you'll set aside because you trust God to take care of you. And you'll care genuinely for that other person. You'll help them get to that place of wholeness. Now, I, I'm not sure about you. I'm very sure about me. Because I've lived with me for 56 years. And God regularly, when I open the Bible, shows me a picture of me. And when I submit to him, when I say, Lord, I will follow you. I'll get off the path I'm on and I'll get on your terms, on your path. And then he says, Dwayne, I want you to deny yourself something. I come every time I come kicking and screaming to denying self. And I suspect most other people do as well. Let me give you a a simple definition that I use of denying self. It's to subject myself completely to the lordship and resources of Jesus Christ. It is for me to reject self-will and self-sufficiency. And when I reject those things, I, I really only have one other choice, to take the Lord's will and the Lord's sufficiency so he'll provide and help me to deny self. And I know I can trust him to take care of me. Now, the third principle. I told you they started at challenging and went to extremely challenging. The third principle, in verse 24, Jesus says this, take up your cross and follow me. He told his disciples, if anyone comes after me, first deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You must die to self, is what he says. Now, when the disciples and the crowd, whoever was around at the time, heard him say, take up your cross and follow me, not a one of them, not one, thought, I'll bet that's some mystical experience that we haven't had yet. Maybe the next time we go up on the mountain with Jesus, we'll all have that mystical experience of taking up our cross. No one, no one said that. No one thought that. They had a vivid picture in their minds of what it meant for someone to have a cross put on their shoulder and them to begin a death march toward the place where they would be crucified. It was the picture of someone who was going to die a brutal death. Let me tell you, taking up your cross is not the following things. It's not putting up with a nagging wife or a lazy bum of a husband. It's not that. It's not putting up with an overbearing boss. It's not a physical handicap, as difficult as those are. It's not a debilitating disease, as difficult as that is. It's not this mystical level of spiritual life that you can attain if you read the Scripture 12 hours a day or if you pray 10 hours a day or something like that. It's not something reserved only for a few religious elite people. It's something anyone can do if we trust Him. When we come to Jesus, we come to the end of ourselves. I mentioned earlier, when we come for salvation, 
But when we go on to those deeper levels of knowing Jesus Christ, where we want to know him more than anything else in our lives, he says the way to do that is to die to self. I would give you a definition, simple definition. It's an attempt at a definition of dying to self, okay? To take up your cross or to die to self is simply this. Be willing to pay any price for the sake of Jesus Christ. To pay any price. To be willing to pay any price for his sake. The story's told of a slave in the old plant, the place, on a plantation in the old south. The master rode by on his horse, and this particular older gentleman was always singing, always a smile on his face, always happy, no matter how hard or bitter the circumstances. And the master, putting up or struggling with things himself, not having joy, not having happiness, asked the old slave one day, Why are you always so happy? And he said, The Lord Jesus Christ forgave me. He came into my life. He put a song in my heart, a smile on my face. I will never get over the fact that he gave me eternal life. And the master said, How can I have that kind of joy? And he said, Well, you need to do two things. You need to go back up to the house, put on your best Sunday suit, and then you need to come down here Get off your horse and get down in the mud and work with me. Then you can have it. And the master rode away, said, I'll never do that. Rode off. Two or three weeks later, came back and, and, and had the same question. The slave had the same answer. The, the master had the same response. He rode away again. But several weeks later, came again, still wrestling in his soul with the fact that he didn't have joy and he had everything. And this slave had nothing, but he had joy. And he asked him yet another time. And he gave him the same answer. And this time the master said, Okay, if that's what it takes, I'll do it. The slave said, Now you don't have to do it. You only had to be willing to do it. I would submit to you today, don't sit there thinking, I'm not sure I can do that. That's the thought every one of us has. We just need to be willing if that's what he asks of us. This is an issue where I pray about daily. I ask him to turn on, the Lord Jesus Christ, to turn on the huge spotlight and shine it into the corners of my life and say, Dwayne, here's an area of self. I don't enjoy it at the moment, but let me tell you something. When I surrender those to him, when I die to self, there is the most joy in those moments there ever is any time in my life. Well, as Jesus often does, he illustrates it. And this time he illustrates it with a paradox. That's not two ducks. That's a paradox. It's a, a statement that seems to contradict itself. I have to explain that. You know, I'm a hillbilly from Missouri, and so a paradox. So anyway, verse 25 Jesus gives them a paradox, a seeming contradiction that if you don't stay with him, if you don't listen closely, you'll misunderstand or you'll think he's doing doublespeak and you'll just walk away confused. Verse 25, Jesus says this, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Sounds like contradictions, 
but they're not. The, the word in the Greek for life can be translated heart, soul, or life. So let me give you simple explanation and then try to expand on it to help you, help me understand this better. Finding life equals losing your soul. Now let me go back and clarify that after you fill it in. Finding life equals losing your soul. I would say finding the things that the world tells you are most important. Did you get that? The things the world tells you most important. That's the life. Will equal losing all that truly matters in a spiritual relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That person is the biggest loser who will never be a winner in eternity. The second statement Jesus makes to explain is losing life equals finding ultimate life. Let me expand that. Losing your interest and fascination with the things of this world or the things that this world tells you you must have would equal finding a relationship with Jesus Christ that will see you through the toughest times, the hardest decisions, and the most painful times of your life. It will help you find a life that is filled with joy, peace, hope, contentment that only the Lord Jesus Christ can give you. Galatians 2.20 says it this way. I've been crucified with Christ. That means I died. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Are you willing to lose? Are you willing to deny? Are you willing to set that winning his affirmation as the ultimate goal? Jesus gives us one more thing. One more promise, not in verse 24 or 5, but in verse 27. A couple of sentences later, he he shares with us that there's a payment for following Jesus. In verse 27, he says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels, Son of Man is Jesus, in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each according to what he has done. Notice, according to what he has done. Are you willing to die to self? Are you willing to deny self? According to what you've done, he's going to repay in heaven. And let me share something with you. All of Scripture teaches, and my experience of knowing Jesus Christ since I was 17, that's a long time ago for an old guy like me. In my experience and in Scripture, it's not only in heaven. We don't have to wait 60, 70, 80, 90 years to have the reward that he promises us here. It's in this life as well when we give up self, and when we allow him to be absolute Lord. We can be the biggest losers who are the biggest winners. Here's what you can have when you give your life away to Jesus. You can have forgiveness. You can have peace. You can have joy. You can have hope. You can have spiritual rest instead of turmoil. And you can have real life that's more fulfilling than you ever imagined. Let me share a story with you. In fact, read a story to you uh, this morning that illustrates this as well as anything I've read recently. In the village of Simreap, Cambodia, a man named Haim, who was a Christian teacher, he knew that the youthful black-clad Khmer Rouge soldiers now heading across the field were coming this time for him. Haim was determined that when his time came, 
he would die with dignity and without complaint. Since the so-called liberation on April 17, 1975, what Cambodian lived who had not considered this day might happen to them? Heim's entire family was rounded up that afternoon. They were labeled as enemies of the glorious revolution. They were Christians. The family spent a sleepless night comforting one another and praying for each other as they lay bound together in the dewy grass beneath a stand of trees. The next morning, the teenage soldiers returned and led them to their place of execution, the killing fields. The family was ordered to dig a large grave for themselves. Then, with the soldiers consenting to Heim's request for a moment to prepare themselves for death, the father, mother, and children, hands linked together, knelt around the gaping pit. With loud cries to God, Heim began encouraging both the Khmer Rouge soldiers and all those who were watching to repent and believe the gospel. Then in panic, one of Heim's youngest sons leaped to his feet, bolted into the surrounding bush, and disappeared. Heim jumped up and with amazing coolness and authority prevailed upon the soldiers not to pursue the lad, but allow him to call the boy back. The soldiers and those watching and the stunned family still kneeling on the graveside looked on in awe as Heim began calling his son, pleading with him to return and die together with his family. What comparison, my son, he called out, stealing a few more days of life in the wilderness, a fugitive, wretched and alone. What comparison to joining your family here momentarily around this grave, but soon together around the throne of God, free forever in paradise. After a few tense minutes, the bushes parted, and the lad, weeping, walked slowly back to his place with the kneeling family. Now we're ready to go, Heim told the soldiers. As each of these Christians' bodies toppled silently into the earthen pit which they had dug themselves, few of those watching would have doubted that their souls soared heavenward to a place prepared for them by their Lord. Who were the biggest losers that day? The Khmer soldiers who walked away alive? Haim and his family who fell into the pit? We know the answer. Those who remained physically alive were the biggest losers that day. Are you willing, whatever it takes, to follow Jesus? Romans 8.18 says it this way. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. He will give you, if you'll lose all the things this world tells you you need, He'll give you peace, joy, hope, happiness, contentment, fulfillment.